The Bible verses are from Isaiah 60, verses 2 and 3. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. During prophet Isaiah's life, there was great turmoil in the land. People lived in the darkness of fear, were oppressed, worshipped false idols, and many lived in sin. In chapter 60, Isaiah predicts the Lord will come and his light will overcome the darkness. Then there will be hope for love and peace. We all face struggles at some time in our lives and can become lost in the darkness. And until we allow Jesus into our hearts, will we come out of the darkness and see the light. We need to reflect Christ's light as we go about our daily tasks. Thinking about this might change our behavior in the small everyday things we do and make the world a better place. Strike the match of faith by opening your heart to him or sharing your faith with another person this season. Illuminator Lord, light a fire in us that will put out our darkness and shine so brightly we must share it with all of your beloved. And now we'll light the candle of hope. On Communion Sundays, we set aside time in our service to ask for prayers for others and for ourselves. During these next few moments, please pull out a prayer card from the pocket from the pew pocket in front of you and use it to make a prayer request for yourself or for someone else. When you come up later in the service for communion, please place your cards in the offering plate. They will then be prayed over by the ministry team and the Tuesday morning prayer group. The next few moments here will be spent in quiet reflection as we fill out our prayer cards together. You may do so now. Almighty God, we ask your blessings on the prayers and petitions that have been written out on these prayer cards this morning. As one body, we pray together for those things that we have each written from our hearts and lift them up to you. We know that we're unable to carry these burdens ourselves, which makes us especially grateful to be able to share the weight of them with each other and with you. Lord, we pray this morning for our church family, especially for those who have been hospitalized this week. Virginia Downs, Connie Albert, Kim Michaels, and Eileen Downey. We pray that they feel the strength and power of your healing hands and the assurance of your presence with them as they heal. We also lift up in prayer Betty Kirchner's daughter-in-law, Chris, who is in the final stages of pancreatic cancer. Lord, watch over her and her family as they walk the last part of this journey together. Give them your loving strength as well as all who are hurting today and need the power of your healing touch. All these prayers we lift up this morning, the silent ones of our hearts, 
the prayers that we wrote on the prayer cards, and the prayers we lift up as one body. We do this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 2 and 3. We'll read it again together. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. As our pastor comes to share God's word with us this morning, he's going to talk about how the darkness of this world is is taken away by the light of Christ. The darkness that, that penetrates deep into our hearts and the hidden places that no one knows about or can see other than ourselves, that the only answer to that is found in the light of God, which banishes all darkness. So as we come together to hear God's word spoken to us, may our ears be ready to receive what the Lord would speak to us. Will you pray with me for Pastor Mike? Lord God, today as we come, Lord, to hear your word spoken, we pray for Pastor Mike. And Lord, we ask humbly that his words would be like beams of light that would reach into our souls to illuminate even the darkest corners, Lord, of our being. We pray, Lord, that there would be no darkness that would escape the light of Christ. We ask that you bless Pastor Mike and give him your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been raised in the Christian church, so therefore the journey from the beginning of Advent to that moment as we light the candles dramatically each week in worship till that moment you light the Christmas candle has always been of great joy and significance to me. I enjoy taking that journey with you as we hear not only explanations from Chuck, who knows church, but uh, probably more uh, germane to us, Sherry and others that will come forward and, and, and share where we are at on the journey uh, of Advent. Because it is a journey, and we understand this about Advent. It's not simply about Christmas. Christmas is the climax of Advent, but the Advent is about the fact that we have deep need. Deep in our souls, we need a Christ to come in and light our darkness. So it's just a pleasure to be part uh, of this uh, in this Advent time. Now, as I begin my talk, I want to remind you of something that you might have seen or witnessed a few months ago. I stood in this same spot and I sang a little song, something I'm not so good at. But as a song I needed to learn when I went off as a young youth pastor to teach children about Jesus... Because songs do encourage us and they teach some of us the truth. The song went like this. I'm in, right out, right up, right down, right happy all the time. You can cheer now. I'm in, right out, right up, right down, right happy all the time. You can laugh now. Since Jesus Christ came in and saved my life from sin. I'm in, right out, right up, right down, right happy all the time. Cheer. All right. There you go. Okay. So thank you. Singing is not my main suit. We let people that are much more capable and and qualified for that. But here's the thing. I sang that song to make a point in a sermon. And I went back to the, what I call the shaking hand place after our 8.30 service. And one of our guys here that was up in the front came through and said, Pastor, I like your song, but it's not completely true. He says, you know, as adults, Once we've been redeemed, that doesn't mean the suffering and darkness goes away. Frankly, Pastor Mike, I'm not happy all the time. 
And neither are you. And neither am I. Because there's darkness in the world. It's dark out there. And I stood at him, stood with him, and I said, I agree. Our suffering does not end at our redemption. And so that's why Christian faith is so important. A Christian faith that can deal with the rawness of life, the difficulties of life, the hardship of, of life. I would say that Christianity is useless in it, unless it deals with the truth of our lives. It's a useless faith unless it gets to, to that very raw, difficult, dark, suffering level that we all carry. You know, no mamby-pamby religion with a, with a tagline or, or something that, that, you know, that we can put on our, uh, a cliche that we can put on a tattoo or truth are, are, are helpful at all. The truth is, it's dark. It's dark out there in the world in which we live. And sometimes, it's really, really dark. Isaiah points to a time not so dissimilar to ours. A time when darkness and weariness clouded many, many hearts. We read it twice already in, in worship this morning. You might be hopefully thinking and engaging in the thought that maybe the pastor thinks this important to read it twice. Sherry read it. Keith read it. Now I'm going to read a little piece of it. It says this. Darkness covers the earth. Okay, we get that. But then listen to this next part. Darkness covers the earth. And thick darkness, thick darkness, is over the people. See, what the Lord knew and what his prophet knew is this, that darkness is difficult. In the plagues of Egypt that God sent upon him, when, when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let the people of God free, and Moses declined, Plague after plague came upon Israel, and you, or on, upon Egypt. And maybe you know them. Maybe you know about the frogs. Maybe you know about the gnats, the flies, the locusts, the hail. The last two plagues are this. The last one's the death of the firstborn. But the ninth plague is darkness. Did you know that? It's darkness. For three days, God put darkness over Egypt. And the Egyptians could not see each other. They couldn't see literally the hands in front of their faces. Israel, on the, in the meantime, was functioning in the light. But Egypt was so dark because what God knew was that when, when darkness envelopes you, it feels difficult. It feels hard. And is that not the way the world feels sometimes? That it's dark? You know, you haven't been on this trip with me, but you've been on a trip like it, I would guess, most of you. We were at uh, San Antonio, Texas, right outside there. There's a place called Natural Bridge Caverns. It's like all of them. You know, any of the caves you've been in, Wind Cave or any of the other ones. You know, you walk through with a guide. There's lights on the side. You walk with a handrail. You go down the steps. And then they bring you into the big room. Remember, you know what I'm talking about? You know what's going to happen next. They bring you into the big room. They tell you about the stalactites and the stalagmites and all this kind of stuff. And then the guide reaches over and says, hold on to something. And he turns the lights off. You been there? You had that feeling? Because if you haven't known absolute, complete darkness then, you feel it then. It just comes all around you. You, you literally cannot see your hands if you place them in front of your face. We were standing next to a young couple. I'm sure they were on their honeymoon in our trip to Natural Ridge Cavern. And the young man said to his wife when the lights first went out, he said this, he says, the darkness is so thick you can feel it. 
The darkness is so thick, you can feel it. And the reality is in our world that the darkness is so great in so many hearts that it's about all that they can feel. It's about all the people, some of the people that I know can feel is that darkness that literally is wrapping itself around them. We know what we're talking about. Some of you feel captive and imprisoned. Some of you have health conditions that you can't shake. Maybe a cancer has come into your life, a a, a heart concern or some other illness, and and you're imprisoned by it. You're held captive by it. Some of you that are experiencing deep stress, I mean hardcore, bottom-of-the-soul stress, you know what I'm talking about, the captivity that it can put you in. Others of you or some watching on TV certainly know what it's like to be depressed to such a point that the darkness just overwhelms you. Some of you know what it's like because you've walked through other things. Anybody that's ever walked through the breakup of a marriage, through a divorce, through that that long, deep place, knows how darkness covers over you and thick it is. Some of you are involved with addictions that cover you up or bad personal decisions that have put you in a place that you simply want to say, it is so dark here. It's so dark. I'm held captive by it. There are others among us even today that are in the darkness of mourning. We lose, we've lost someone that we loved a great deal. And the mourning that we're experiencing is so dark. Or we've lost some independence. We can't go where we want to go anymore or how we want to go. And some of us even are struggling with the darkness of the loss of our faith or our spirituality. Others are struggling with the loss of their illness or the loss of our intentions, the intentions of our heart, which are almost as difficult because we've always intended to do the right thing, but those are the very things that we're not doing. And so darkness is being pushed upon us. And some others of us, even that are trying to hold the faith, look around at the groups that we're in, and our Christian values seem to be shunned by that group. And I know that Keith and I have had this experience way more than one time, and it's difficult for us, more difficult for the people that come to us, that say, Pastor, my sin is so grievous. It is so big. I'm just surrounded by it. It's so dark. And many, many people in our world simply say, it is dark. It is so very dark. And there are people that are losing hope. The darkness of losing hope is huge too because some of you struggle with the fact of losing hope with that the fact that, that, that there may never be peace in this world or, or maybe you won't find a life partner or maybe you can't get peace of heart or mind and so many of us are weary and on the edge of giving up and simply want to cry out, it is so, so dark. And I would be no pastor at all and certainly not a Christian if I didn't tell you this. The darkness... The suffering is real. And we need, because of that, a real and living hope to fuel our living. Now, if I haven't said anything that you want to write down or remember so far, I do want you to encourage you to write down or remember this next thing because it's from Tim Keller. You see it on your screen. Understand this. There is no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. Suffering's going to come. There's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering. And, Christians, there is no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. And living hope is in something, is hoping in something that completely transcends that which we can create or control. Which is to say, if we hope only in earthly things, 
they will wither and die. It cannot endure past what we see. If you live long enough and you hope in certain things that you can see or make or feel, every single one of these things will be taken away from you. They are all fading and diminishing. You know, I have watched in my own culture how so many people tie their hope to how they look, which we know is a diminishing resource. You know, so many of us tie our, our, our hope in, 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 in our look, in our vanity. You know, I, I got married 25 years ago, and if you're ever in my house, hopefully with my permission, you can go into our bedroom. And there in our bedroom, you will see this handsome young guy that married this beautiful young woman 27 years ago. Now, I can tell you, she's still keeping up her part because she's still plenty beautiful. But that guy with her, withering away. You know, I don't want to be morbid about that, but if you were to go up there and study that carefully and then study our faces carefully, you would simply turn around and say, you people appear to be dying. You're diminishing in your health. I don't want to be morbid about this, but the fact of the matter is if you put your your hope in this, it won't live through your life. It goes away. There are people that I know that put their hope in a position they have on this earth, in a status that they have right here on this earth, and it too goes away. Right over here, that front window. Take a look at that front window. I've been part of this church off and on for more than 40 years, and I cannot memorize the name on that front window, and I don't know why, but here's what what it says. It says that this is presented in honor of the name of the pastor, the pastor's name's there, who is the pastor at this church when this edifice was erected. That's a pretty big deal. Because I'm a pastor that plans to erect another edifice. And I too want to be remembered. But you know what happened to that pastor? The moment a bishop called him somewhere else, the church looked at the pastor who was in the pulpit for his last time and said, Next. And that is what you shall say to me too. And that is the way it should be. Because my hope is not in this position. I mean, it's cool that I'm the lead pastor at First United Methodist Church and get 50 cents off at Tomaso's when I go up there. I think that's cool. (laughs) Get a dollar off if my daughter's working. But I, I love that, you know. I love that. But my hope can't be in my position, and nor can yours. And I can tell you from factual truth that people that put their hopes in their financial holdings what good are they doing Steve Jobs right now it all passes it goes and I've run into this a number of times in my life and some of you know this too I've seen a lot of people in my own generation and the one that follows me put their hope in their children I mean, they, they, their, their living hope is in their children. And I want to warn you this. I don't want to just do you the whole catch in the cradle and the silver spoon kind of warning, but that seems kind of obvious to me. But the fact of the matter is, we are not growing children. We are raising an adult. And by its very nature, when you raise an adult, you're sending them out. And, and they don't mean to disappoint you, but you're training them to have their own lives. So don't possibly expect them to live yours for you. Don't put your hope in a child's life. You want to give them hope but you don't want them to be your hope. Do you understand what I'm saying? All of it passes away. And if you live long enough, every single one of these things 
will be taken away from you, your health, your position, your financial status, even your children, because they are all, as are we, fading and diminishing. There is no better case in Holy Scriptures, in all of Holy Scriptures, than the case of Job. You know this story? I mean, Job, it's spelled just like Job, so we'll use that. I mean, you thought think Steve, Steve Job was, was rich. Job had it all, man. I mean, this guy owned everything you could see, both ways, always. He owned everything. And there he is, standing there, and up comes a servant, riding on a horse, coming as fast as he can. And he says, Job, something terrible happened. I was out with the oxen and your donkeys, and I was out with a whole bunch of your servants. And guess what? Some, some raiders came, and they killed all of the servants except me. They let me loose to get back here, and they took all your oxen and donkeys. And then when, when he's not even done saying it, a second messenger rides up and says, Man, that's bad news that you're hearing from here. This is not right out of the scriptures. This is the Micah bridged virgin, okay? Not King James. It's bad what you're hearing, Job, but get this. I was out in the field with your sheep, and fire from God fell down and consumed all your sheep and killed all the servants but me. And while he's still finishing telling Job this story, a third messenger rides up and said, Job, that's really bad. I get that, and I'm sorry to bring you more bad news because you are having a bad day. But I was out with your camels. And a raiding party came by. I killed all the servants but me because I'm here to tell you about it. But all your camels were taken away by them. And he wasn't even done talking. And a fourth guy rides up and says, Job, I hate to make a bad day worse. But all of your sons and your daughters and your grandsons and your granddaughters were having a party. And in the house they were at, a big wind came up and the roof fell down, collapsing on them, and killed them all. Now that's a bad day. That's struggle, that's pain. But it gets worse for Job. If you know the story, Job's body is then attacked by boils and every kind of thing. He finds himself with a mental health issue going on in his life, covered with boils, sitting on a pile of poop, scraping his boils with broken pottery. This is a bad situation. And into that situation comes his friends and his wife. And all that they can see is it's so dark for Job. There's darkness all around Job. And they come to him and say, Job, it's so dark. Is it not time for you to curse God and die? And from the deep darkness of his suffering, Job rises up and bursts forth with this affirmation. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that at last He will stand upon this earth. Now understand this, Christians. This holy defiance of the darkness is at the core of our Christian faith. Our Dutch ancestors in Nazi Germany stood with holy resistance to the atrocities of the Nazi Reich. Even this morning, our brothers and sisters in Christ, in Congo, in Egypt, in more than three other dozen nations where persecution is permitted or even administrated by the governments in holy defiance of that darkness, worship together in a living hope. Why? How can they? It is so dark around them. How can they possibly feel anything but the darkness. Well, their Christianity, as ours must be, is authentic. And it is based in a living hope 
For understand this, my friends. Faith faces a dark and tragic world with a living hope in God. See, if it's not that, it's not faith. Faith faces a dark and tragic world with a living hope in God. That is why Isaiah steps into the stage in this dark, weary land and says, God will come. And God, when He comes, will be with His people and transform their destiny from darkness to light. Which is to say that God steps right into the brokenness of human suffering and darkness to save us. One of the most encouraging things I've ever heard was by one of my friends named Bill Briscoe. He was obviously, when I tell you this story, quite a bit older than I was. But he tells this story. In World War II, he was a fighter pilot. He was flying his plane and was shot down. And he remembers two things from his time in an army hospital. First, his commanding officer coming and chewing him out for losing a million-dollar aircraft. Second, he remembers the incredible agony and suffering and pain his body was in. He had a lot of broken things, things that he hobbled around with till the end of his life. And he went into surgery, and he was in such excruciating pain He would tell you, he didn't care if he lived or died. He just wanted that pain to stop. And when he went into surgery, it was somewhere in the midst of that where Bill felt, as he said, this brilliant light all around me. Wider than I can describe to you, Mike. And I was drawn to it. The surgeon would say, that's the moment Bill died during his surgery. And he said, I experienced that for what seemed like a little while. And then all of a sudden, as quick as it came, the pain came back and the light moved away. Now, the pain and suffering, of course, meant that he was still alive. But the light, and the light that everyone I've ever known that has had those kind of experiences, that have faced that physical death and life experience, have experienced that kind of bright life. Matter of fact, I was told two times since I told this story in earlier services of other people among you that have experienced basically the same thing, that as they break and walk towards what they thought was the darkness and suffering of death, there was this huge bright light that was drawing them in and comforting them. And that is because God puts perspective on our suffering and our darkness. And the perspective that God puts on that suffering and darkness is this. It's transient. It's short. It may feel like it lasts forever, but it does not. For God comes with a living hope. And our God gives us an infinite future in which there is no darkness, but only brightness to look forward to. In just a couple minutes, we're going to celebrate the manifestation of this light in Holy Communion. But as we go towards that, remember this. Light always is undefeated against darkness. You introduce light to darkness, light always prevails. Simple, right? You know this to be true. Imagine yourself back at the bottom of this cave, because it happens to everyone that's ever been on one of these trips. You're down there in that giant room, and it's black as black, and some college-age guide does this. They turn on a little flashlight. And you might be in a 4,000-square-foot cave room down at the bottom, and that little light pushes the darkness off to the side. And no matter how small the light is, 
You and I are drawn to it. We're drawn to the hope it brings. We're drawn to the strength that it brings. We're drawn to the abilities that the light gives us. Now, all the light really does is push the darkness back so that if we walk in the light, our steps will be guided and we'll have hope for going on. And this is what our Lord God does. For the God who is light comes to the people who are blanketed by the darkness. The ones who cry out, it's so dark. And he grants his light so that no longer do we need to grope around in the darkness, hopelessly in the darkness of our brokenness, our mourning, and our weariness. For the light has come in the incarnate, Jesus Christ our Lord. It is dark, my friends. Let there be no question about that. I will not deny it because I live with you in places that it is dark. But the Christ follower knows this that the darkness will not, shall not, and cannot prevail. For the living hope that is Jesus Christ, who was born to come from cradle to cross, pierces our darkness and is the light for this world and the one that is yet to come. Hallelujah and amen. Let us pray. Lord our God, you light our darkness. There is no other light we need but that which you provide. We ask, O God, that we might rejoice in it. And as you push away our darkness, we might revel in this hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.